we're working through the book of Ecclesiastes together. And last week we looked at this idea of what does it look like to experience the divine in the daily? What does it look like to experience God's presence with us in all things? What does it look like to enjoy the work of our hands, to enjoy our food, to enjoy our drink, and to enjoy life? That this teacher, in the midst of having what, what seems to be a uh, uh, a crisis of faith in the midst of deconstructing faith, deconstructing life. Th this teacher has these windows of enlightenment that he shares with us, like God has placed eternity in our hearts. Uh, th there is this place we can live from, even as time is feels fast-paced, even as the rat race around us is moving forward, that there is this place, this centered place that God has given us that we can live from, that as time moves on, there is something timeless that God has placed within us and that we bear the divine image of God and can live from that place. I want to go a little deeper into that idea this morning as we dive into Ecclesiastes chapter 4. The teacher starts Ecclesiastes 4 by saying this, again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who have already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. So once again, teacher has a real pick-me-up for us this morning. Uh, is just... Shall we pray and call it a day? I mean, like, wow, <laughs> right? That, if you've died, good for you, because you're better than the rest of us here, and better yet uh, is the one who has never even existed. Uh, this just does not feel great, does it? I want to talk about something here and then move into what he says next, because I think they connect. So the hope is that we'll move into something that will leave us with a little more joy and hope for this life and what God has given us in this life. Uh, it's interesting, he says, I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressors and they have no comforter. Now, scholars are uh, a bit confused around the second use of and they have no comforter. There's a bit of a debate around, so is the second use of and they have no comforter referring back to the oppressed or is the second use referring to the oppressor? It is the teacher saying, kind of leveling the playing field and saying, hey, what, what if we just saw humanity here for a moment? Uh, because when, when we see injustice, we, we know it, don't we? When we see wrong being done, we know it. And we, we want to take the side of the person being oppressed and, and fight on behalf of that person. And what, what if the teacher is saying, uh, do that? But don't forget the humanity of the oppressor. Don't forget that they bear the image of God, too. Uh, when I think about heroes uh, that I look to in our history, uh, one that emerges for me is always Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, because not only was he oppressed by the powerful and African Americans like him, uh, and he fought on behalf 
of the oppressed, but he was willing to go to those in seats of power and try to change their mind, to help wake them up to a different way of being human. I wonder what it looks like for us to fight for causes where the oppressed are being mistreated and at the same time see the humanity of the oppressor, pray for them, and try to help them see things differently. Uh, to repent literally means to change the mind. It's to turn around. And, and what if, by God's grace, somehow the oppressors, those in power who are abusing power, could actually change their mind, could actually see things differently, could actually wake up to the goodness that God has invited them into, rather than a distorted way of being. I was listening to NPR the other day, KQED, and they were interviewing this gal. Do we have this or no? Okay. Uh, so this gal named Stephanie Land, she wrote a memoir called Made. And right now she's doing a Bay Area tour. I think she was in Petaluma and then the city. And today she's in Corte Madera at uh, Book Passage at 1 p.m. if you're interested. And she writes this memoir called Made. Uh, she's a single mom trying to make ends meet, living in poverty. She was home, her and her daughter homeless. Uh, and she, the way she's making ends meet is by cleaning homes. And most of the homes she's cleaning are these really high-end homes. And so she writes her story about this experience of being homeless with her daughter finally, uh, getting a, a small studio apartment, and this backbreaking work uh, of cleaning home after home after home. And she said there, there was this uh, sense I got at one point as I was cleaning these homes and interacting with some of the owners of these homes that uh, they, they had these polished lives, this veneer. Uh, and she said, and I was contributing to helping them keep their polished life. And, and she came to this realization that she never wanted to be wealthy. N nor did she want to continue to live in this cycle of poverty and, and this never-ending, back-breaking work, but she, she just had the sense of, man, I, I just don't want that life. Uh, and I wonder for us, I think part of the task of Jesus' followers is to break open the system and show a different way of being human for both oppressor and oppressed. Uh, a different way of being human for all of us. That Jesus invites us into a different way of being human. Uh, last night around the dinner table, uh, we were discussing this passage in Mark uh, where Jesus heals blind Bartimaeus. A man named Bartimaeus, he's blind. He's on the street, he's begging because he can't work, begging for food, begging for money. And he hears that Jesus is walking by, and he starts crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people around him are like, shh, 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 stop it, stop it, be quiet, be quiet. But he won't stop. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they're like, shh, shut up, man. Jesus is way too important for you. And Jesus said, bring him here. And, and Jesus says, what do you want? Isn't that a startling question? Yeah. What do you think I want, man? <laughs> Wait, what do you want? He says, Jesus, I, I want to see. Go, receive your sight. Uh, in that moment, Jesus opened the eyes 
of a poor man, literally. But in that moment, Jesus opened the eyes of those around him about a different way of being human. They wanted him to stay quiet. They wanted him to stay off to the side on the street begging. They wanted him to stay in his place. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Recognize his humanity. Because I recognize yours too. What does it look like to recognize our common humanity? Rich or poor, our common humanity. There's a different way Jesus invites us into, a different way of being human. The teacher goes on and says, I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So the, the teacher is talking about this just toil, uh, achievement, grasping, go, go, go. And, and uh, this was written 2,500 years ago. Can you imagine if he was like transported here today? American culture, Bay Area culture. What would he think? Oh my goodness, I thought it was bad 2,500 years ago. You people are crazy. You commute how far? You work how many hours? Your kids' schedules are what? Like, what even is that? Where's that thing you drive? What is that? All these screens you have. Like, 2,500 years ago, he's saying people are toiling and striving and achieving and grasping. Uh, our culture today, he would think, is just ludicrous. And he says, uh, whether you believe it or not, part of that striving, part of that desire to achieve and go, go, go and do more, so somewhere in there is envy. Seeing what others have and wanting it. Going after that which others have. A, a longing to get more, to get something better whether it's more money or a better body or a new car or a bigger house, whatever it is, it, there, there's something in there that's driving it. And he, he said it's never going to bring fulfillment. It's just a chasing after the wind. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. So then he tells us this. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Okay, so he uses the word hand here three times. Uh, once he says, uh, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls and chasing after the wind. I think there is a lot going on here in these three images of hands. So here's a thought. The incapacity to tap into the peace or eternity in our hearts that is already within us takes two forms. So the incapacity to tap into the one handful of tranquility takes two forms. 
idleness and frenetic labor. Both leave us with a sense of meaningless and a chasing after the wind. So, the idea of the folded hands. In many ways, it is a checking out at the soul level. It's a disengagement. It's saying, I really don't care. It's a sort of indifference and ambivalence to life and the things we've been entrusted with. And now, this may take different forms because it may be in one area of life that you've just decided to check out. Or it may be a number of areas. Or it may be just life in general. You, you're kind of checked out on and indifferent towards. Uh, it is... Uh, I don't care. I'm not going to engage that. Um, then there is the one hand of tranquility and two handfuls with toil. Uh, so let's think about it this way. I love chips and guacamole. You like ch chips and guacamole? Man, we had coffee last week. I should have done chips and guacamole this week. Um, when, when you grab some chips out of the bag and you have them in one hand, you are able to take a chip out of that hand and dip it in the guacamole. But if you grab so many chips that both of your hands are full, I mean, you could do this and eat like a dog, but you, you don't get the guacamole. <laughs> it's just not fun. I think th this is the image he's drawing. How much is enough? And when we keep going, 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 the rat race, the fast-paced culture, more, 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 and, and both our hands are full, we have no capacity to get any guacamole. It's just bland chips by themselves. And he's saying, and yet, I mean, he starts spilling, you can't keep control of it all. It, and he's saying to it, one handful with tranquility is way better than two handfuls of toil and achievement and grasping and the rat race. Uh, I wonder what it looks like for us to let go of the rat race. Uh, tranquility is this Hebrew word, nachath, which means Quietness, rest, it's to be at peace. It's this way of being that God has invited us into from the beginning where we can be at peace. And when we have the one handful of tranquility, we can still be active and engage the work God has called us to while being able to dip in the guacamole and enjoy life, taste and see that the Lord is good, that there is a way of being in the world that is centered and grounded in the God of the universe, that has created us to enjoy God, to enjoy each other, to enjoy life, and that it is possible to have this peace that surpasses understanding that God has planted within us.
and we're invited to live from that place. Uh, the posture of the, the folding of the hands, the kind of checked out indifference, and the posture of the two handfuls. Uh, both of these postures describe a, a foolish way of living. One frozen in inaction, the other grinding away and grasping for more. More money, more control, more power, more recognition, more accolades, more love. It resists a theology of enough. It resists saying, I have enough. I am enough. I've already received God's pleasure and God's love. I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to, to keep going, going, going to say, see what I've done, see what I've accomplished. I, uh, we're all ready enough. We're all ready loved. We're all ready declared God's children. More on that in a moment. So a couple of questions. Are you bored with life or indifferent? You were created for something more. Are you overworked, stressed out, worn out, doing too much? You were created for something different. Now here's, here's the thing. This question, are you bored or indifferent toward life? Or are you overworked, stressed out, too much on the calendar? Uh, isn't it interesting that the answer to both those questions could be yes? That when we are go, 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 activity after activity after activity, schedule after schedule after schedule, work, 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 that then we're so worn out that by the end of the day, we, we shift to the other. We, we just check out. And checking out looks different for different people. It could be just scrolling through social media feed after social media feed, uh, binge watching this show after show after show, what, or what, uh, ignoring the family and just checking. It, it can take different forms, right? We can be doing both. We can have the two handfuls of toil and grasping and then just fold our hands and twiddle our thumbs and disengage. And Jesus invites us to something totally different. It's one hand of tranquility that comes as gift from God when we tap into the peace that God has already given us. Jesus says in John 14, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Uh, this peace Jesus is talking about is this Hebrew idea of shalom, where all is as it should be, where, where we are at peace with God, at peace with others, at peace within ourselves, at peace with the world that God has entrusted us with. It's this universal flourishing Shalom, and, and when we look all around us and we see oppression and we see hardship and we, we have heartache and, and, and suffering, uh, there is something God has placed within us. A place of peace that can bring hope. Uh, this peace that truly does transcend our understanding. It is a gift from God. It's, it's there. It's present. We already 
have it. And so while we often talk about how Jesus wants to save us from our sins and Jesus wants to save us from our brokenness and Jesus wants to save us from destruction, I also believe that Jesus wants to save us from the insanity of the rat race. And Jesus wants to save us from boredom, from indifference, from checking out. Jesus invites us into a life of peace and wholeness. Jesus wants to save us from the rat race. Jesus wants to save us from boredom. Jesus invites us into a place of peace and wholeness. So in our world, we know how to fold the hands and we know how to run 100 miles an hour and grasp. But to be a person with one handful of quiet, rest, and peace is something entirely different, isn't it? We will have to confront the gods of our age. Busyness, materialism, you name it, fill in the blank. Jesus invites us to something different. So I wonder, how many of us fold our hands or grasp with both hands because we are searching for something we already have? I do. Searching for something we already have. When God brings his people, uh, speaking of oppression, in Exodus, the people are in slavery. They're crying out to God, and we're told in Exodus 4, God heard their cry and was concerned. And, and he responded. And, and how does God often respond? Through us, right? I mean, he used Moses, he used Aaron. Uh, God heard their cry. God, God is one who hears our cries. And when he brought them out to Mount Sinai, he declared them as his beloved bride, his beloved people. Before ever giving the Ten Commandments and saying, and now this is how I would like you to live. Before they did anything, before they followed any of these laws and teachings from God, God said, you're mine. You're my children. I love you. Now, when Jesus arrives on the scene, we don't know much about the first 30 years of his life. We have these birth narratives. We have a little picture of a, a story from when he was 12 years old. Uh, and then this is what happens next. Jesus ar arrives. He's about 30 years old. And he goes to John the Baptist to get baptized. And when John baptized him, Jesus came up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove and a light on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Uh, had Jesus done any miracles yet that we're aware of? Had Jesus drawn large crowds? Had, had Jesus turned a few loaves and fishes and multiplied them to fill, feed the masses? Uh, no. Jesus hasn't done any of these great things, these great miracles that we think of. Some, it's just simply, that's my boy. I love him. 
and I am well pleased with him. And I believe deep in my bones the same is true of you. Same is true of us. You cannot do anything to earn God's love. You already have it. You can't do anything to, to earn God's favor. You're already God's daughter. You're already God's son. You already have God's favor. You already have God's love. And we're simply invited to wake up to that and recognize, oh, we, we have one hand with tranquility. We have eternity in our hearts. We, we have the peace that passes understanding. And I just simply haven't been living from it. it it's already yours. You are God's child. You are loved. God is pleased with you. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to make God declare you as God's child and that God loves you. God already loves you. I love the message version of Matthew 11 where Jesus says this. Are you tired? Worn out, burned out on religion, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Uh, I think those unforced rhythms of grace, living freely and uh, freely and lightly, that's just another way of saying one hand with tranquility. Let go of the rat race. Let go of the indifference. And simply get away with Jesus and take a real rest. And, and Jesus isn't saying, get, get away with me and we'll just fold our hands together and twiddle our thumbs. No. Jesus is saying, get away with me and let's be present to each other. And then do the work from that place, from that place of knowing you are God's child, from that place of knowing you are loved, from that place of tapping into the peace that God has given us. Uh, what does it look like for us this morning to unfold the hands of indifference? Uh, what does it look like for us this morning to release the two hands full, which only comes by toil and grasping? What does it look like to live with one open hand that is capable of both giving and receiving? One open hand living in God's grace and peace in love. That is the invitation. God, I pray this morning for those of us who struggle with the rat race, struggle with a busy schedule, struggle with striving and grasping and achieving. God, help us to get away with you and recover our life.
God, for those of us who struggle in different areas of life, of disengaging and being indifferent, God, make us a people who engage with your heart and your love. Help us to unfold the hands of indifference, to release the two fistfuls of toil, grasping, and instead hold lightly the tranquility, the peace, the shalom you offer us. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.